Okay, welcome back, guys. So we're going to get into this idea of leadership now, and I want to really come back and revisit what we talked about in that first episode of leadership. As I kind of mentioned in that that Q and A response session, um, I said I've I've had a long think about this, and I felt like my first response was sort of canned and a bit anemic. And I think while competence and confidence is important, I don't think that's the the whole picture. So let's um, let's have a chat about this, Matt, and see if we can go a little bit deeper and maybe a little bit wider in our mm. view of mm. leadership. Okay. Sounds like fun. <laughs> can I start with a presupposition here? Now, if, if we talk about a leader, and let's call this leader Emily, so we've got someone to work with here. So we've got Emily. I think right at the outset, we need to answer a question. Are, are we asking Emily to maintain the current state, maintain some conceptual object, or are we asking her to modify the current state? I, I, my, my thinking was that the vast majority of the time, if we think about a good leader, we're thinking about someone who has made a modification to the current state or the current um, construct of some object or some environment. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, for me, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but I, I do, you know, I want to explore briefly you know, when this decision is made. Now, facetiously, is this decision every day? Is it every minute? Or is this, are we talking more about a strategic issue here? Um, and I'm looking, you know, simply at the difference between operations and, and change. You know, mm-hmm. so change, as you know, change something, operation, operate something. Mm-hmm. Um, now, clearly, operations, if it's not changed, generally will become dehydrated and fail. You know, mm-hmm. so ch- incremental changes need to be made. So I'm sort of wondering... I, is this something that is is a continual presupposition before we le- launch into something, or is this more along the lines you're thinking this is like a uh, before a major task, before a major new initiative in the marketplace, before something along those lines? Yeah, I'm kind of using this as just more of a general blank blanket statement to say if I look at um, Emily mm. and I'm gonna and I'm gonna score Emily as a good leader, I'm gonna say that. Pr- Nine times out of 10, my scoring Emily as a good leader had to do with Emily making a change to the current state. Okay, so she's got the radar set. Yep. And as it's scanning the environment, oh, I need to make a decision about that. Yep. Yeah, whether I do something or do nothing, because obviously you can't do everything. Sure, sure. So she'd have a reason why I'm going to maintain the steady state for a while because of all the other facts, all the other factors that will come out. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. Yeah. I think if we looked at Emily's career or something and we said, well, can can we score Emily as a good leader? Um, I think that if you looked at what she's done in say the last five years, yeah, there might be a period within the first 12 to 18 months where she was just weathering some really crazy things happening Mm. within the economy and the environment so she maintained the steady state but i still think in order for you to say that over the course of five years if you're going to deem whether or not emily was successful it's actually based on whether or not she's had a successful modification of the current state yeah so you took whatever this airlines airline x you started here and five years from now you've actually changed it you've improved it and now it's 
why yeah whatever that is and and in and during that there's been also a variety of of uh, subordinate decisions made so but what i think we're in rigorous agreement that whichever way you go there it's a decision so it's based on fact and you can understand the logic behind it so for 12 months i had to maintain you know a hand on the wheel and i this is my decision but it was getting ready sure to do something else yeah so i think that's right yeah 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 and i think i mean this this might be something in and of itself to look at if if we actually did a search and said, okay, let's pick the top 100 best leaders, and we looked at where they'd gone over their career or some uh, sort of like a longitudinal study, right? Like over some 10-year period of time, I think that we would actually be able to pin a significant amount of change to that individual CV. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and then you can find a, an equal amount of businesses that have decided to we can't improve this product anymore. Yep. Um, let's just continue to roll out Kodak film. Yes. Yes. Uh, or <laughs> let's continue to sell, you know, um, VHS yes. DVDs from Blockbuster, right. where their competition could see it's great. It's a great product. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. But we've got a better product. Yes. Yeah. And and that's a good point. That what you're talking about is the success and the failure of that change, and that's actually one of the the points that I've highlighted here as being determining factor as to whether or not we would quote unquote, classify that leader as being successful. And I'm going to say that, and I'll get there in just a minute, but I'm going to say that if you if you aren't successful in that endeavor, that achieving that change, you're not a good leader. You're not a successful leader. You, you can, it, it, we'll unpack this when we get there, but I, I think that's actually really important. Yeah, yeah. And look, um, I, I, I agree. I'm not going to quote Epictetus or, or any of the other <laughs> but you know, change change is part of life. That's it. You know, sure. So that's that's if you if you aren't able to roll with that, then you're going to have some problems in the 21st century. Sure, sure. Yeah. So so let, let me let me start to unpack this now. Like I said, I've actually thought about this, and if I'm thinking about something, it means I, I've actually sat down and thought about it deeply. So yep. I, I did start to construct a causal landscape diagram on this because I was really concerned about what are the causal factors, what are the attributes, the entities, the objects, the conceptual objects, and the, the types of interactions that we have with those objects yeah. that work together to create what we're going to put a blanket around or a bubble around as a good leader. So I guess one of the first things is, if, if I say that Emily, and again, we started with this, this presupposition that Emily modifies mm. the current state and improves the current state, that point right there, Emily improves the current state, that's actually an effect. That's an outcome. Mm. Okay? So... Just the fact that we say that she makes a change or she makes a modification isn't in in itself a causal attribute. It's an outcome. And that's how we sort of identify her as a good leader. Now, I think what goes into that is that Emily, number one, she modifies the current state and that whatever modification she makes is an improvement. Emily has to be a leader in that scenario. And I think when we talk about the business we have to think about the business as a conceptual object. If we put all those things, if we smash those things together, then we get the situation where the effect, the outcome, is that Emily improves the current state. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there was a lot of kind of jargon in there, but that was just to set the foundation. Let, let me give you my five points. Mm-hmm. And then I'll read the five points out. And then let's kind of go through maybe in turn and just unpack each one of these. Mm-hmm. So the first one is that I think that the leader must be able to provide an unambiguously clear definition of purpose of what the current state is and what the future state is. Mm-hmm. If you think about this as the beacon on the hill, right? This, this is them 
putting the beacon, that destination out there in space and time. Okay, in five years, we're arriving here. But a good leader can clearly and precisely describe this to you. Okay, so in, in, in every detail. So the first one is clear definition of purpose. The next one I think is that the leader is able to take that clear definition of purpose and disseminate it again in a clear, unambiguous terms about the view of the beacon on the hill and the path that all of those individuals are going to be taking to reach that beacon. The third one is that the leader must be able to possess a precise understanding of the current capabilities, and you can include technologies in there, but the current capabilities of their team and be able to augment where necessary. And this one's really important and we'll spend some time unpacking that. And then the leader must, this is so important, the leader must actually achieve sufficient change through the actions of their team. So remember, we're asking people to act. It's not necessarily the leader that's doing all the work. It's the team, right? So the, the leader must get the team to take action. And this brings into the, the equation the idea of conformity, compliance, and obedience. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to see that good leaders are going to tend to take the compliance path. Where And this brings into competence, uh, into the frame, competence, confidence, and affability, uh, affability and things like that. And then the final one is that the change the leader brings about must be an improvement. And I, again, I think that this is fundamental to whether or not we're going to determine or give this person or Emily the tick in the box about whether or not she's a good leader. She has to be successful in the modification of that environment that she's hoping to achieve. So let, that's the top five. Let's kind of go through and mm. have a look at these now. So the first one I said is the leader must be able to provide an unambiguously clear definition of purpose of what the current state and future state is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they, they, they can set the beacon on the hill and they can use, and, and again, it's not about having this view of the beacon from 3000 feet up in the air. They understand uh, precisely the details of what the future state, and I'm gonna, again, I'm going to call it a conceptual object, looks like. So what, what are your thoughts on this and that this, this wow. idea that a, a good leader has a very, very clear definition of purpose? They understand both the current state and the future state. Wow, you know, there's a thousand <laughs> organizational design gurus out there that are going to go, oh my God, he hasn't used the word vision. Oh, wow, you know, we can't, we can't do anything without a vision or a mission yeah. statement. So purpose for me is, is a much more uh, action-orientated way of looking at the future. The vision statements that you see around generally are fairly, uh, I'll use your word, anemic. I, I just call them, you know, fluff. Mm. Um, so the purpose is, for me individually, why did I come to work today? Is it just comedy relief, which is my purpose by the way or is it you know to do something the current and future state's important um if we're talking about change it you cannot change the engines of an aircraft while it's flying mm -hmm. you need to have a, a statement of the here and now today and then if you've got a precise future it is easier to, me to, to measure which is important in terms of return on investment than a vision Mm. How, how how am I going to you know measure the vision that you know we we, we become the best tennis racket mm. makers in the world? Well, that's great, but what the hell does that actually mean in terms of return on investment? What you know, and, and you see that everywhere. So I think, um, and the military use purpose, you know, in, in terms of the way in which they structure 
their operational plans. It'll be purpose, method, end state, which mm. is similar to what we're talking about here. For that very reason, mm. to be able to give the teams that are involved in the task a very clear idea of what the commander, the manager, the boss wants mm -hmm. and not leaving much open to guesswork for that particular part of the of the the solution to the problem. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good point. I, I agree the vision, the mission, the fluff bit. And I think the point about how do we how do I measure the vision and the mission and the changes oh it's really the vision and mission kind of getting into the KPIs and the, the key success factors. I think that's where balanced scorecards are really important. And you're right, so many organizations don't have that. They set the vision, they set the mission, they set the strategy, and they don't actually have a way to measure it. Mm. And they, they kind of fall over. And then you made a point about moving from current state to future state. And I think that this is this is the test, right? This is your litmus test. If I don't have a clear understanding of the current state, can I get to the future state? The answer is yes, you can, but the journey to get there is incredibly difficult and you're much, much more likely to fail. And let me give you like a tangible example. And like if, to your point, like if, if, if as a leader, I don't know that 30% of my team as a current state are sitting in, a, in the mud, are sitting in quicksand, are sitting in the bog, right? Can we get to the future state? Yes, we can. But what's going to happen is when I ask those people to, to move, say whatever, 20 kilometers in this day or to do something, they are hamstrung by the current state. So I'm actually asking them to do something. This gets back to the point about capabilities. I'm asking them to do something that they may, may not be capable of doing because of the context effects of the environment that they're in. So I would actually say that if you don't have a clear understanding of the current state, can you can you achieve the outcome? Yes, but chances are much slimmer and you're much less likely to achieve it, that, that future state design. Anyway, that, that's kind of my thinking on that. Last point, does, does purpose allow you more flexibility than a mission because a mission statement is pretty clear you're going to do x by x mm -hmm. um and it's it's kind of binary you either fail or succeed mm -hmm. with a mission you know i know this is again this is heresy mm. from organizational design and, and and the like but what are your thoughts about that is purpose still have enough flexibility for us to be able to maneuver yeah then saying if we don't yeah, if we're not the best tennis racket makers in the world by the year 2027, we failed. I don't, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it, yeah. just, it just sprung to mind. Yeah, I, I think they're probably linked together in some way. Mm. But I, I think you can have a vision and still not clearly define your purpose, I guess is what we're saying. Like, mm. I, I need an unambiguously clear definition of purpose. And I would hope that that clear definition of purpose is represented in my vision and then teased out through the mission mm. and into the KPIs mm. and, the, and the key success factors. But I don't think most of the time it is. I think most of the time you can, you can set a vision and you can set a mission and you can set a strategy. All of those things can be created and on a deck somewhere and, you, and every single employee in the organization still have no idea what your purpose is. Okay. The, the why are we here? Yep. As opposed to how we're doing this and yes. what we're doing. Yeah. So the why are we here is important to get towards the future. Got mm -hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of covers that first point, right? Really clear definition of purpose. Um, the next one, and again, I think this, I think they're all important, but the next one, and it's it's interesting to me how I kind of pulled five points out of there. It sounds like a 
an article. Look, top five. Wait, anyway, the leader must be able to disseminate this information in sort of a clear, unambiguous view of the beacon on the hill. Yes, but I think they also have to give us the path to the, the path that we need to take to get to that beacon. So, for instance, this is where we're going. This is when we're going there, uh, why we're going, and specifically how we're going to do this. And the, the idea is that you want your followers, your, your followers are the ones taking action, right? So you need your followers to make the necessary modification to the space that you're working in. Okay, so there's there's specific actions that has to be taken, right? So the, the reason this, again, is important is because if you have someone that's, say, a designer uh, or someone that's in marketing or someone that's in sales, they have to understand, again, what is the purpose of the organization? And when they're taking an action, whatever that action is, they need to be able to link what they're doing clearly back to the action of the organization. So am I on the, the, the path right now? Am I on the path to the beacon of the hill? Yes or no? Okay, does that make sense? Do you, do you kind of agree with that or disagree with that? Uh, I suppose the, the only question I've got here is how how wide and deep is the path articulated? You know, is it, say it's a 70,000 headcount organization, you know, large airline, um, large shipping company. How, how much uh, detail and depth does your leader need to go to to disseminate it? Is it a broad highway or is it a narrow winding path through the countryside to that that employee who's separated by distance and time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, by, by, it's a global organization. Yeah. Headquarters is in San Francisco. This particular work, worker is working in you know the Klang Valley in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. How, how detailed does that link need to be back to have the task disseminated sufficiently so that worker knows what to do i think it needs to be fairly detailed and i think this is where a lot of people really struggle right so you your your vision is going to say something like 100 million dollars 22 whatever or let's say 100 let's say 100 100 million dollars and uh you know six states and um 500 products or something like that mm. so so your vision could could talk about the amount of revenue you're going to generate, like where you're going to expand geographically and uh, the, di- the different product diversity. It could be something like that, right? But that that doesn't give you enough of the detail of the understanding about how you're going to do this in terms of following the path. I think, and this goes back to the point about you. the leader must understand the current state and the future state very, very precisely and at a detailed level. Because what they actually want to do to that geographical team or that department is actually say to those folks in marketing or whatever, in uh, sales or whatever, this is how you are going to achieve the organization's purpose. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. Now, the problem is you start getting into the space of we're dealing with a lot of unknowns, right? Well, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what the future is going to look like. But I think the leader, a good leader, Again, they they're, they have this true north, right? They have an unwavering view about what that point on the hill is. And if, if you've ever sat down with really sat down with really good leaders, they will tell you precisely the picture that's in their mind, right? So if you tell them, then I'm over here, I'm standing in a bog. They can now reframe you and say, or reframe where you're standing and say, okay, if you're standing in a bog, the way that you need to get over here is by taking this path through the forest. And then cut across the mountain and then cut over here to the right. 
Okay. So I think it's a yes. It's it's kind of a not a yes and no. It's it's both sides, right? You might take the highway, depending upon what team it is and what it is they want to accomplish, or you might take the path through the mountain. And that could be dependent on a specific team, where that team is, what that team is doing. But my point is the leader, in order to set the path, has to have a very, very deep understanding of both the current and the future state. Yeah. So the flexibility, I imagine, that's built into this is if if the leader is talking to the purpose to five different, you know, functional heads or global heads. Yes. One in Korea, you know, one in New Zealand, one in Ecuador, one in I'm running out of countries, Iceland. <laughs> you know, and and they know the steady state and the future state in each of those geographical locations. They might be different. Mm. But globally, for the one true north, all of those different uh, global heads are contributing according to their area of operations yes. that the boss knows about. Yes. And he's factored in, or she's factored in, in this case, Emily, yes. uh, into uh, their their purpose for the entire organization. If it's a big organization, if it's sure. a small organization, it's a lot easier. Sure. sure. You know, if it's Function Junction, Nebraska, it's a lot easier. Yes. As opposed to you know the entire world. So is that is that where I'm coming at? Because I mean, you, you might say something. Oh, how could I do this? Well, I'm in Iceland, and these dudes are over there in in Ecuador. Yeah. So so that's a really that's a really good point. I'm not saying that the leader needs to tell you how to do everything. So the leader says, I've got a global head. I've got a whatever division head, a country manager in Iceland. Hmm. What what I want from you in Iceland, Nicole, is, and I'm going to say, and so Emily's going to say to Nicole, this is precisely what I need out of you in Iceland. Hmm. I need X, Y, and Z. Now, you, it's up to you to tell me how you get that, but that is precisely what I need. You know hmm. what you need to do. And my expectation would be that if you're the country manager, you better know it better than me anyway. Yeah. But I'm going to clearly articulate what I expect from you out of yeah. Iceland in order for the broader organization to achieve their goals. Yeah. This yeah. is my end state yes. from Iceland yes. and from Malaysia and yeah. from... Yeah, you got it. Okay. Now, at the same time, the onus is on you, Nicole, to tell me, again, back to the idea about capabilities, where are your team members... What are they capable of? What are they not capable yeah. of? What are you missing? What technology gaps do you have? Mm. Because I don't want to find out 12 months from now that there's a gap in your people. Mm. Right? You you need to know that now. You need to have the same depth of knowledge that I have about my team, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and risk manage it yes. accordingly. Yeah, yep. you got it. Oh, so that's point three, the possess, the possess and undertake. Exactly. Right down here, exactly. Capability, uh, uh, understand the capabilities. So... I think we just covered it, but I, it, that's a two-way uh, informed dialogue based on fact. Um, you know, it's got to be, hey, Mike, um, I understand where you're going from, but are you aware that we've just had a raging wildfire through California and it's wiped out um, half of our production capability? Well, uh -huh. Mike will go, yeah, I am aware, but oh, okay, I wasn't aware. I didn't catch you overnight Fox News. Sure. Um, whoever watches that i don't know sure. but anyway um yeah so it's that capability construct that i the good the good boss who's supporting emily can can automatically say yeah we can do that or sure. uh, actually we need a little bit of give and take here sure yeah let, let's take that point for a second so the original the original point was that the leader must possess a precise understanding of the current capabilities and technologies of their team. And then I, I, I kind of did a in brackets there and 
you know, have the ability to augment or develop as necessary. This, this is really, really important, okay? I think most of the time, number one, leaders do not have any idea at all whatsoever what their current capabilities are. I see this all the time in op model designs where they don't go all the way down to the individual level. They'll go down to like an L3 or an L2 level and they start designing the op model from there without having any consideration or understanding of what the capabilities are. So what I'm going to say is that the leader must understand the capabilities they currently have. But then we get to this point about augmentation. If I'm going from current state to future state, okay, yep. the chances are I probably don't have the capabilities I need. Yeah. Now, what I would say is that a, a, a bad leader, a suboptimal leader, this is where we see them flogging people off, getting rid of people, and not living to their values, not developing people, not investing in people. So when we talk about the augmentation of capabilities, what I my view is that a good leader is actually dumping a ton of funding and investment into developing their people, upskilling their people, cross-training their people, so that they have the required requisite capabilities, and ultimately technology as well, to achieve the future state. Mm. And I think that's a huge hallmark of a good leader versus a bad leader. They know what they know what the capabilities are, but when there's a gap, mm. they actually invest in the current people they have to get them to the next level. Yeah, and the key word you've used there is gap. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that understanding of, first of all, the ideal state, which is the purpose. This is where I want to go. Mm. And then that's... That is future thinking. Mm. And there is a certain amount of guesstimation in that, but it's precise guesstimation. This yes. is where I want to be. Followed up by a realistic and honest and robust discussion about the current state. Mm. You know, what's the gap? Yep. So we've, we need 400 trucks and drivers, but I see you've only got 280. Yes. Now, that's a bit of a simple example. Yep. Yep. But that's you know intentional change. Yep. Um, yeah, that's you know that's one of the first things that you, you do in intentional change is you you do exactly that. And there's I don't think there's any controversy there. But I think with the point that you're making is that a lot of leaders don't do that. Mm. They assume that you know the the entire train is hitched to this wagon. Yes. You look you look behind it. There's only the coal carrier and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so that's intentional change theory 101. I think. Yeah. And, and that's getting us right into that space where, yeah, you're doing your whatever, your capability, your readiness assessments, you're doing your technology S-curve analysis and your technology road mapping because you want to see where you are and where things are going. Yeah. But again, so many organizations don't do this. They don't do it well. And again, no. I think it's a reflection directly on the leader. Yeah. And look, maybe in a future episode, we'll talk about, you know, the theoretical side that's, that we're talking about there, you know, Richard Boyartz, this is intentional change theory. It, it's, mm. It seems very academic and very remote, but when you look at it, you go, oh, actually, that makes a lot of common sense if you have the ability to turn the theory into common sense. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah cool. And then the, the fourth point was that leaders have to achieve sufficient change through the actions of their team. So we're, I'm talking specifically now about you have to get your team to take action. Yep. Okay, if, if you're a leader and your team does nothing, then you go nowhere. And remember what we said in the beginning, we're trying to improve the current state, change the current state. Mm. But here we're not talking about the improvement yet, we're just talking about the change. So the question is, how do I get people to take action, right? And so the three things I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of compliance, I'm thinking of conformity, and I'm thinking of um, obedience, right? So mm. obedience is just, you're telling people just to do 
what you were told. Okay, you just obey me as the leader, right? If you're talking about conformity, it's well, I see everybody in this division doing what they're supposed to be doing, so I do it. But we don't want either of those things, right? What we want is we want compliance. Okay? Yeah. We want people to just to simply to give in and actually do it because they agree with the purpose. But also, I think this is where we talked about in the first, at least what I kind of things I mentioned is, you, uh, you mentioned um, being courteous. But I said um, competence, confidence, and, and now I'm going to add in this idea of affability. I think if you're trying to achieve compliance through your folks, you're trying to get your folks to take action, okay? They're looking at you and saying, are you a competent leader? Are you confident? Do I, and I, and I, I know we, we kind of disagreed here about likability, or maybe we didn't, I couldn't, I can't remember exactly, but I actually think you do need to like the person. I, I think that person needs to be affable. I think they need to be, I think they do need to smile and I think they do need to be friendly and I think they do have to have your best interest in mind. Mm. But I, I guess there's a question about maybe that's a spectrum and we can see where we land on that spectrum. But I think those things get bundled up on that spectrum and those things together lead to uh, the team's compliance, yeah. to, to the degree to which the team is going to support you to take action. Yeah. What do you think? Well, you know, you could use the old approach of the human wave where uh, I'll just have a machine gun and I'll just get everybody in the front line to run towards sure. you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, probably going to succeed, but very costly. With with compliance, though, and I agree, and it's again, we're going to have 150,000, you know, leadership coaches ring in and complain about this bit. Mm. But when you think about it from an organizational design perspective, if I put those factors that you've spoken about, which I agree with wholeheartedly, the human factors, because yes. we're not dealing with machines. What else do we want from organizational design to be able to comply with it? Well, we want BART, don't yep. we? We want BART. Mm. B-A-R-T. We mm. want boundaries. Yep. We want authority. We want roles. And we want tasks. Mm. That's what teams want from their leader that they like is affable. So, boss, tell me how far can I go with this? Mm. Tell me where my boundary is. Yep. Tell me what my authority is. You yep. know, what can I do in your absence? Yep. You, you need to tell me this. And the country head needs to know this. And the division head, the functional head. You know, what's my role here? You know, I, I see that I'm doing the same role. I've got the same role statement as the person in the other side of the office is doing exactly the same thing. This seems to be a bit of a boundary conflict. And the last thing is, and this comes to the first point, or sorry, point two, the tasks. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to do? Because you could spend an inordinate amount of time doing stuff that is completely a waste of time. Mm -hmm. You know, does that, and that sort of sits, I think it's very important to reflect on that they're humans. So they yep. want this affability from the, from their boss to, you know, they at least want to respect the boss, but they also want the boss to be able to tell them these things, you know, boundaries, authorities, roles, and tasks. Yep. So let's take that point for a second. So the, the thing that I'm really trying to hammer home is that the team members must take an action. They must, so I'm saying you must do something. You must, because you're changing from current state to future state. Yeah. So you must build this thing. You must change this thing. You must write this program, follow this process. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, the, the point that I'm trying to make here is if you're, if you're going to take an action, there's some lever in here that requires that person to take or, or is a prime mover to that person taking an action. So with this point about BART, do you think if we have BART in place, so we've got clear boundary, you've got clear roles, uh, sorry, authority, you've got clear roles, you've got cl clarity on the task, will that cause you to take an action? Or are you thinking that that is something that kind of gets bolted onto 
the compliance component and just assumes that the action that you take is going to be more productive or better or more task oriented. I, for me, it is going to be more task orientated. Yep. It will prevent the the good idea fairy. Yep. Unless you want good idea fairies, by the way. Yep. Uh, the daydreamers, the experimenters, again, unless that's what you want. But if yep. you want, when you've done your disseminate the task, you, you possess an understanding of the capabilities, you realize that you've got a finite amount of capabilities and yes. a finite amount of time and a finite amount of this. If you, su- if you then give your team the organizational design to be able to achieve that, I think there's more chance of success and you might and increase productivity mm. because I'll know that I am not going to cross this boundary. Uh, I know what, you know, when I need to ring the boss. Yes. I, I don't have to wait. You yes. Know, you know, you see a lot of people, I, I find this learned helplessness where people just sit on their hands. Oh, why? Because my mic's not here. Yep. You know? Uh, and that's, you know, that's another, that's another article and, and the tasks, what am I supposed to do? Well, there's no point doing tasks g through to z if you're only supposed to do a through to b unless the boss is built into that you've got some scope for growth and again it's it's a bit of a you know it's 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 one of those simple throwaway theories that i just think is is a worthwhile supplement and support to your thoughts about the the human side which i'm very strong on yes yeah so so let's take that point for a second and say that we're going to containerize compliance with BART and that's going to improve the efficiency or it's going to optimize what we're doing in terms of compliance. But let, let's go back to compliance, conformity and obedience for a second. And just again, this is me just asking the question yeah. about if, if, I, if I put a picture in your mind of Emily and I ask you, is Emily a good leader? Mm. My question to you is, how is Emily getting these people to act? And if Emily is getting these people to act by using compliance, is she a good leader? By using conformity, is she a good leader? Or by using obedience, is she a good leader? I mean, situational, obviously, we've had this conversation yeah. before. If the situation demands immediate obedience, well, yep. so be it. If sure. it d- demands conformity, so be it. But compliance itself, what is compliance? Yep. You know, what is it? It's complying with something. Yes. Otherwise, it's just pure guesswork. Sure. And the teams that I've worked with over the last three and a half decades have all wanted to know where they stand. Mm. And when they know where, where they stand, yep. they become quite, believe it or not, productive and comfortable because they can get on with their job without guessing, oh, I don't know, you know, what, I, I don't know the head office hasn't told us what to do. Yep. You know, and they just spin their wheels. Yeah. So I think the compliance, whilst it sounds a little bit draconian, mm. well, it's what people want to do. They, yep. they want some direction. They want a purpose. They want to know what you know what their limits are and get on with it. Mm. Not going to tell you how to do it within your limits, but you you got to have some some way of of measuring that compliance as well as just pure production and output in terms yeah. of organizational design. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think I agree. I think if we talk about what it means to be a good leader, and it goes back to simply about achieving that future state, I think you can achieve it through obedience, and I think you can achieve it through conformity. However, and this is a big caveat, I think that in terms of the long term, and if you look inward at the people that are there, they're going to resent you. They're not going to be so happy with it. Well, I mean, maybe not necessarily conformity, but definitely obedience. But they're going to have some reservations against you, and they may not rate you as a good leader. But from the outside looking in, in at Emily, you might actually say, well, Emily's done a hell of a good job here. Mm. She did a lot of it through obedience, 
but she got the outcome. Mm. But I think I would still lean towards compliance. And if you're a leader, I think this is about, again, believability. And I think it's about a lot of it has to, does have to do with being liked. And when you demonstrate the competence and the confidence, I think you're going to gain compliance mm. through your people without having to say, do this because I'm telling you to do yeah. this. Right? Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. And that's, so it's, it's, a, it's not necessarily a small C compliance, but it's a compliance that has a significant amount of understanding human nature, mm. human behavior built into that yeah. with some guidelines in terms of what the organizational design is about, you know, as just a point of reference. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then the very last point, and this kind of brings us to the end, is that I think, and again, I, I think that if we think about leaders, like you draw a picture in your mind of Emily, or you think about some leader in the past that you would deem successful or good, I think that they have to bring about an improvement. And again, this goes back to the presupposition, right? Are we maintaining the current state or are we changing the current state? If you're changing the current state, not all change is an improvement. Okay, it's just, it's, it's just that simple. I can spend five years in an organization and make a thousand changes and the organization can be no better than the day that Emily or when I step into that organization. Might be worse. Might be worse, right? So yeah. in this case, the point number five is that the leader must bring about an improvement. Yeah. And I, th I think the way that we measure that improvement is through whatever employee sat, you know, operational indices, you know, uh, the customer's point of view or financial. Financial is such a great yardstick. Mm. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that you have to actually achieve an improvement? Look, if you haven't achieved an improvement, I, I would suggest that you've probably failed at the, you know, the pre-change state. Yep. You haven't made the right decision. Yeah. You haven't expressed a, a purpose. You, the the path has been a meandering miasma of just <laughs> incompetence. Yes. Um, your staff and teams did not possess the equipment that they need or training or yes. to do what they need to do. And therefore, the change actions have been a hopeless you know, switch between conformity, compliance and obedience just yep. as an effort and then we lead to, tell me why this helicopter can't take off again? You know, with the US, the Australian Navy bought, you know, the Sea Sprite off the US Navy and made a bunch of changes yeah. which had no chance of succeeding and a billion dollars later, they literally, oh, okay, that didn't work mm -hmm. because none of points one to four were actually thought, thought about and the end result was, well, that, wasn't an improvement at all. Yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about that ever again. And and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but can you can you think of? I mean, if you if I don't know what kind of leaders you kind of have hanging out in your mind, but can you think of an example of someone that would be quote unquote a good leader that didn't that was that that actually was brought in to make a change in an environment that didn't actually make any sort of improvements? And you and you you still think of them as a good leader? And it's okay if you don't know. I mean, I uh, look at Mike. I suppose is <laughs> yeah. Look, it's a hard one. I don't, I, I'm the only thing I'm thinking about is there's an honesty factor here. If somebody was just brought in literally to hold the burning building, mm. whilst you know a whole bunch of you know, damage control was going on, maybe and I, you know we could probably find look at some of the disasters in the Australian finance industry over the last decade maybe we'll find somebody uh, but they generally move on fairly quickly yep. anyway yep. Um, so can't think of it uh, off the top of my head I could think of some political leaders 
but they all either made change or they didn't make change and they were voted out accordingly. So to be honest, I can't think mm. of somebody, but there will be examples sure. of very short term. What they really had to do was damage control, obedience. Sure, sure. Yeah. And there's going to be no change. Because- yeah, and, and I think that's a good point. I mean, that goes back to that presupposition about maintain current state. I mean, sometimes you, you may, as a leader, be brought in just amidst all of the crap that's going on in the world and in the economy and in your local uh, state or country, just be said, you know, be asked, do everything you can to maintain a five year, or sorry, 5% year on year growth for the next whatever two years. And in which case, yeah, you're, you're good. You're successful if you do that. But I think most of the time when we think about leaders, I think, yeah, we're thinking about people who have made some improvement, some significant change to some conceptual object or current state. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's a lot to talk about in the future here of, of connecting the dots between change theory, leadership theory, which is great if you want to read, you know, voluminous text and research articles, but then disseminating it down to practical things, you know. So I think we're probably one layer down on that, but there's a lot to talk about in the future of each of those steps of how to um, use some theory for good as opposed for bad to be able to help managers, leaders work their way from that initial decision all the way down to, you know, did that actually work? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a lot in that. Yeah. So yeah, good talk. Cool. All right. Thanks guys. We'll see you next time.